Hello and welcome to Givey Connect Plus, a podcast series where we talk to local charities in the UK and put the spotlight on their exciting projects and initiatives. I'm your host, Fiza Sergio, and our guest for today is Dr. Sue Rayner Jacobs, Deputy Chair and Treasurer of Red Kite Rape and Sexual Abuse Support Service. Well, Red Kite Rape and Sexual Abuse Support Service operates on the vision to provide comprehensive services to survivors of historic or recent rape, sexual abuse, and violence in order to enable them to recover and thrive once more in their communities. They are a startup charity which have undergone and are still undergoing a steep learning curve in the setting up and funding of a charity in these COVID-19 times. Once again, a very warm welcome to Dr. Sue. Thank you so much for joining us today in this episode of Givey Connect Plus. Can I please ask you to start us off by introducing yourself, the work that you do, and also some of the various Red Kite projects that you have been involved in in the recent past. Hello, Pfizer, and hello, everybody. Uh, yes, I, my name is Dr. Sue Rayner Jacobs. I am the deputy chair and the treasurer of Red Kite, which is a brand new uh, charity. We started uh, by registering our charity in October 2019, but when March uh, 2020 hit, we uh, downed tools for five months, and we only really started up again in the summer of 2020 when we decided to go ahead because um, the the rumours were that there were a lot of rape victims out there and that they needed our support. So we basically started the the charity from scratch in the summer of uh, 2020 and we put ahead of us a target to open our helplines on December the 14th 2020. That was a very short amount of time to do a very large amount of work and uh, during that time obviously we were in startup mode we uh, needed to get all our governance in place we needed to recruit some uh, people to help us including trustees uh, we recruited a volunteer coordinator and uh, she's our only employee and we set about writing all our own training materials um, and also uh, writing all our own governance as well and at the same time, we had to advertise and we had to gain support for um, in, in terms of meeting our costs for all the investments we needed in our um, slightly changed way of operating because we originally wanted to be a centre and operate out of an actual office. And we had to change that with lockdown and become a virtual service. So um, the, the first target was opening the 
helpline, which is a virtual service, obviously. And, um, and we did meet that target on December the 14th, 2020. We opened up our helpline and we managed to get some media um, attention in place as well. Excellent. Sounds like there's quite a lot of stuff going on with um, your organization. It's good to hear that. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. So um, just now you touched on quite a few things that you've been recently involved in. So let's just um, dive into those services in a bit more detail. And I was going through your official website and I noticed um, not, not only was there a helpline service, which was officially um, originally planned to be like a face-to-face -face service, but there's also a therapy service in place for the victims. Um, could you just elaborate on these services a bit further and explain to us how they work? Yes, well, um, it's fourfold really, because of course, when somebody calls into our helpline, first and foremost, we need to be great listeners. We're there to listen. And listening is the first step to healing. Um, these people feel invisible. They've had all control taken away from them. Their personal space has been invaded. Their wishes have been completely ignored and they have been raped or sexually abused against their, their consent. So listening to them, telling them that we hear them and that we understand what they've been through is the most important point and the first step to take in their recovery to healing. Uh, if they panic or have anxiety attacks, we can do grounding techniques with them. There are certain breathing exercises. You might have heard of box breathing and just simple breathing in and out, holding for four, letting out for four, keeping yourself grounded on the floor, you know, looking about you, touching, listening, feeling, seeing, tasting even, just grounding yourself in your here and now. Those are really good calming exercises. There's also tapping exercises, EFT for short, where you can ground yourself and where your nerve points can actually be satiated and calmed by just a gentle tapping. And you start off by doing a kind of karate um, fist tap and you, you put your mantra into that touching of your, the, the very bottom of the palm and you say I am worth it I do deserve this healing I do need to get better and then as you tap around the various points of your body um, especially uh, around the heart area that's a very particularly important point you can you can repeat that mantra and eventually you might find points where it, it can be very very healing I mean our chair did it after her husband had died and she found that the backs of her knees and thighs were actually quite receptive to tapping so we do those kinds of uh, grounding techniques and those are to prevent uh, panic attacks and anxiety sessions. You can take those with you anywhere. If you're going to have a panic attack in public, which can be very embarrassing, you can stop and do the breathing exercises and calm yourself down. Um, we do referrals for other services, you know, signposting. For instance, if someone's got an alcohol problem, we can refer them to signposting for um, to um, re referral agencies for alcohol or drug, for instance, or any other kinds of disorders. Um, what is important to realise is that you cannot go ahead and receive therapy for rape or sexual abuse until you've freed yourself up from the kind of mind-numbing addictions. It, it, it numbs you to any kind of therapy and so you need to get your alcohol or drug addiction sorted out before you can then go on to um, therapy for other um, mental or emotional disorders. So we will signpost people out and then say, you're very welcome to come back when you're sorted out, but we can't treat you at the moment, okay? 
And of course, we make referrals for therapy for the most needy. Um, rape and sexual abuse both induce trauma in an individual. And that, that trauma can last a long, long time, especially if it has happened when they're very young. And that trauma might be sitting inside them and not coming out until something suddenly reminds them and they start getting flashbacks and panic attacks. Um, and then we would recommend that they have a short course of therapy where you can work with them to um, help them realise that this is not their fault. This was imposed upon them. And uh, none of this is, is to do with them personally. It's more to do with the attacker or the, per the perpetrator and that um, they can work through this to a better life and to a, a healed position. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's amazing um, some of the services that you're providing and doing this amazing work. It's truly phenomenal. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, and obviously just listening to all of the wonderful work that you do and you're helping these people out. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who would wanna get involved themselves in the mission of Red Kite. And I would just like to ask you if there's like various um, options available for those people to like volunteer perhaps. And of course, monetary support is very important, but are there various options available for people to like volunteer and contribute to your mission? Uh, there are options. I mean, first and foremost, as I'm I'm talking to you at Givy, is 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 monetary. Uh, donations will allow us to carry on and do the things that we want to do. We've had £345 from Givy since the beginning of this year, and we're really, really grateful for that uh, platform. Um, we we are always looking for um, valuable trustees, especially active ones, ones that can contribute to the um, development of our um, charity. And um, we are always recruiting helpline volunteers, even if we aren't actively uh, teaching a card at this point in time. At the moment, we're not actually teaching now. We've just finished our second course, uh, but we are recruiting again. So um, the good thing about being in lockdown is that our volunteers for the helpline come from all over. We haven't got any from abroad yet, but we have got them from the north of England and from Birmingham and from London. We're actually in Hertfordshire in Bishop Salford. Um, so it's a virtual post and, uh, you know, you can be sitting anywhere in in, in your bedroom in uh, London and you can be as long as you've got somewhere quiet where you can sit for an hour or two hours and be on the helpline and listen to these people who need to speak to you um, you can do it from anywhere in this virtual world and that's what's really really marvelous about the lockdown for us um, so we're always looking for trustees and helpline volunteers and very shortly we'll be looking for a service manager because we need someone to actually take on the administrative role that the two uh, executive director trustees have been doing at the moment. Um, and we have just set up a Friends of Red Kite, which I'll tell you about later. Excellent, thank you so much. Definitely with the pandemic, there's quite a few opportunities coming to the fore. And of course those virtual posts that you were talking about are one of those opportunities. Thank you so much for telling us about that. So um, like I was going through your website and I didn't notice that there were any like specific projects um, in terms of the donations, but is there like something very urgent that you really need um, donations for and you would like people to like donate as quickly as they can by a certain deadline perhaps, if you could just um, draw our attention to that for a second. 
Well, our most urgent appeal at the moment is for um, councillors. The, the costs of councillors are the most expensive outlay of Red Kite. It costs £500 for 10 sessions for one client. Um, and we would like to be able to offer as many clients as possible the course of therapy. So um, the reason ours, is, ours are, are expensive compared to, say, some other um, rape support uh, services is because we don't employ our own counsellors. We contract with professional counsellors. They're all BACP qualified and they all act as independent counsellors. But they're, they're local to us um, within our the eastern Hertfordshire region. And um, we will contract with them to provide an assessment and then uh, a series of 10 sessions with each client, as many as they need, basically. Uh, we can't offer more than 10 because we don't have national funding like the NHS does. So and the NHS and, um, and uh, the SARC centres, the Sexual Assault Referral Centres, they only offer 12, so we're not too short. But um, it's an expensive outlay and we really do need some dedicated funding to go into the costs of our counsellors. Otherwise, we can't offer it to everybody. And we would really like to be able to offer everybody counselling that needs it. We, we do believe that everybody who's been raped should qualify for um, a session of um, therapy and support. But we will be running workshops, uh, group counselling sessions and uh, kind of slightly more lighthearted fun sessions. It's all got a serious aim behind it, but they can be delivered in various different ways. And um, we uh, also want to recruit a service manager later in the year. So we will need to fundraise specifically for that post as well, which will be um, similar to our uh, volunteer coordinator post, but for slightly more hours, I suspect. Excellent, thank you so much for letting us know about that. Definitely, I can only imagine how qualified counselors would cost, but yes, thank you so much for shedding some light on that. So that was just a few questions about some of the recent projects and some of the recent um, works that Red Kite has been involved in. And for a second, I would just like to like step back a little bit and perhaps dive deeper into the work that you've done so far and just ask you about your story. Like how and when did the idea for doing this come into the picture? When did you guys decide that this is what we wanted to do and we wanted to provide these services to these victims? So if you could just elaborate on the story behind Red Kite and how it came into being. Well, it was first set up by three individual women and we all kind of came to it separately. Uh, the other two were survivors and I had been working in the Ministry of Justice in London uh, where I was responsible for the um, rape support funding for the whole of the, the nation, England and Wales. And I've been very, working very closely with um, Rape Crisis England and Wales and the Survivors Trust. And these are the two umbrella organisations in England for um, uh, rape support. Um, and I noticed, I was looking at the geographical map just before the, our last commissioning uh, run, and I noticed that there was a geographical gap in Eastern Hertfordshire. Uh, and as I live in Eastern Hertfordshire, that kind of stuck in my uh, throat a little bit. So I kind of carried this idea with me and I retired in 2016 and I was I was kind of thinking I must find somebody else to to start this up because the Ministry of Justice funds these organisations, but it doesn't actually start them up. It needs the people on the ground to come together with the ideas and start the charity up. So I knew that that was what was needed. And I'd spoken to Rape Crisis about it and they said, oh, well, we'll we'll do a peripatetic kind of service and, and an outreach service from CEREC in, in Essex. 
but that didn't really happen as far as I was concerned. They didn't come into um, uh, Eastern Hertfordshire. So um, I just by happened, uh, just by chance happened to meet the mayor of Bishop Stortford and she herself is a survivor. Um, and she'd uh, put this article in the paper uh, saying that they wanted to start up a rape organization and um, she'd met somebody else who lived further out towards Stevenage and so we all got together and put our heads together and started cobbling this thing together but as I said earlier it didn't really come together until July August of this year by which time uh, the one from Stevenage had left the organization so um, we found uh, somebody else who's now our chair who had had 43 years experience in the mental health uh, sector of the NHS and she'd run the local um, mental health uh, service in, in Stortford. Uh, so she has some brilliant experience and combining with her with her dynamism and passion for the organisation has really kind of um, launched us into the stratosphere. Oops, and she's phoning me now and I do apologise. Um, she, she must be psychic. <laughs> so yeah, uh, and, and then when um, when our former chair resigned, we um, managed to kind of get get it going. And we were going at such a speed, really, really dynamically fast. Um, and just, I think our, our given passions and our given energies and the combination of that and lockdown enabled us to do a lot in quite a short time. So it was, um, it was really useful. Well, and it sounds certainly like a really major journey from coming together with the three women and this whole um, organization like setting off finally. So of course, um, it's not been too long since the organization started, but if you could like point out to us some of the challenges and like the setbacks that you faced up until this point. Yeah, well, luckily we had too many actually. I mean, the, the first setback was obviously the first lockdown beginning in March, 2020. And we did shut down, uh, downed tools for five months, which was quite nice because it had been quite intense up until then. And it was almost a relief to down tools at that stage. And then we um, we started up again, even before lockdown had finished. Um, and uh, started up virtually. Um, the resignation of our former chair was a bit of a blow because uh, she had a lot of experience in fundraising, but that's okay because um, actually we've gone on to raise a lot more funds since, so that's okay, we've gotten over that. Um, funding decisions that don't go our way, they're always a bit of a, um, a you know, thump in the stomach. Uh, we did have one that was quite important that we, we were hoping to get and it didn't come our way. Uh, so I felt that personally is a little bit of a blow because I do do most of the fundraising now. Um, you put a lot of work into fundraising. These, these applications that funders send out, you've got to do them each one individually. You can't copy and paste, um, you know, as, as, a, as a main document. You have to work at individual sections and sometimes you have to... Um, follow word counts and it's a lot of work you know it, it takes a long time to do it and we've just done a really significant one that's that's almost drained the blood out of our bodies it was it was quite um demanding and uh, we i'm not allowed to say which one it is yet now because we're in perda at the moment in britain so uh, um and it's a, a government funded one so i can't say who it is but we're very relieved to say that we did get it and so all that hard work was worth it but yes i think um 
I think that it was really difficult getting our helpline open and advertise, particularly the advertising during lockdown, because, of course, the footfall is really reduced. And we had to try and think very imaginatively about how to advertise the service when we couldn't go out and give out leaflets or put stickers on doors and, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, that was difficult. But we're OK. We're doing we're doing fine. We've uh, we've got it open and we've got it running and we've got our first cadre of helpline workers on the line. So. Yeah, we're really pleased. Definitely sounds like um, there's been so many setbacks and challenges um, with setting up this organization. And of course you must have like learned um, many crucial uh, lessons as well at like through this journey. And there's so many people in the same kind of boat as you during this time. And if perhaps you could tell them a tip or an advice um, to those who are in the similar position as you, what some of, what would be some of those tips and advices? Well, there are several things actually that I think we've we've learned which are of significance value. One is get yourself registered as a charity and be very careful about choosing what kind of charity you are. I found it an absolute advantage being a CIO charity, having a constitution as our governing, our ruling document. Um, and you need a, a minimum of, of trustees on board as well. Um, having trustees who are who are passionate about your aims is very important and um, getting all your governance in place also really important especially for fundraising because your funders are going to need uh, to see your safeguarding um, policies and your um, financial strategies uh, you need a budget in place and if you can get, get a three-year budget in place which is very difficult for a startup um, organization but uh, if you can then it, it really does help it gives you a vision um, one of the other things that we've done which has helped tremendously and which was on the advice of one of our funders was to um, make referral pathways uh, with other organizations in the locality who are offering advice to the general public and they're nearly all charities and they're nearly all free services uh, but there are a couple of platforms locally uh, in our catchment area which are referral platforms one's called frontline and the other is called healthy hub east hearts and there's a there's an uxbridge one and there's there's ones in different regions around the catchment and they are amazing because not only can you share tips but uh, they can refer on their clients. So if they come across a client, for instance, who is seeking money advice, and then they discover that they're also a rape victim, then they can refer them on to us. So um, that those, I think, are probably the most important tips that I would pass on. But uh, you wanted a quote that resonates with me. Well, I've had one which I've carried all the way through my um, university years and my work life, because uh, it doesn't matter how kind of privileged you are in life, and I'm white privileged, um, you come across times and people who manage to oppress you or put you down or try and get one over on you. And my motto has always been a, a beautiful Arabic one, which is, I will read it to you, and it means, beware the plea of the oppressed, because between them and heaven, there is no veil. So um, it's one that I used in my PhD thesis, Bridge, and uh, it's always, always travelled with me. Is that you know you don't necessarily need to rant and rave and shout about the injustice that's been done to you, but just sit back quietly because your voice will be heard, and justice will eventually be done because you're the oppressed and God has seen what's happened to you. 
So in this case, it's very appropriate for rape victims because in this country, at least, I hope it's better in New Zealand, but in this country, at least, um, only about 1% of all uh, rape uh, and sexual abuse cases ever get to court and therefore uh, less than 1% of um, perpetrators are ever convicted or charged for what they've done. And that means that 99% of rape victims are walking, uh, uh, know that their perpetrators are walking around with no justice having been done at all. So it's a very important point. Thank you so much. Some of the some of the stuff that you said is absolutely beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, definitely um, some of the tips and the advices that you shared with us, those are like the little intricate details that lots of people tend to overlook, but you described their importance and thank you so much for um, doing that. And before we um, conclude and move on to the conclusion of this podcast series, I'd just like to ask you about what's next for Red Kite in terms of some of your short-term goals that you hope to accomplish in the near future and if you could just tell us about that. Well our, our aim for this year is to build up a, um, a performance history so that our funders can see how valuable we are to the community and we do that by using Charity Log One where we log all the calls and we um, can do an anonymized kind of feedback to funders and to ourselves just to, to make sure that we're making a difference in society that, that what we're doing is good and beneficial to our callers and also that we've got the callers coming in and uh, we're helping them. Um, the, the thing that we've just launched recently is Friends of Red Kite which I referred to earlier and that is basically to get the advertising out there so we are uh, we've we've appointed two people to lead on this um, they're new people that we've brought in and it's for doing things like um, representing Red Kite at events at, at fairs at fates because we're just about to open up tomorrow is the first opening of the door out of lockdown for the UK uh, 12th of April is the most significant date and we're, we're kind of nearly on that um, and as soon as the doors are open we will be going out into the communities and we'll be trying to advertise red kite so that um, when that lockdown finishes and um, our victims are more able to come, come and make those phone calls then uh, they'll be aware of our existence um, we're not a member of Rape Crisis England and Wales yet because we, we have to go through the very vigor, rigorous um, standard uh, assessment. Uh, we will be trying to do that. Um, so that's on the horizon. We'll also be applying for national funding, which is the scheme that I used to run when I was in government. Um, we are going to be issuing some merchandising, which is great fun. Uh, so we've just ordered some business cards and we will be doing lots of other merchandising. The, the rape support organisations that I've worked with in the past have had some fantastic ideas about merchandising where they are trying to keep the uh, fact that, that not all rape survivors want their family or husbands or friends to know that they're having help from the rape support organisation. And so if they want to keep the number close to them, but but not not so obvious. Um, the rape support organisations have been really good at, at kind of issuing lip salves or keychains or even recipe books where the, the um, support and uh, information about the organisations is, is contained inside the recipe book but to you know anybody just flicking through it just 
looks like a normal recipe book. So we'll be doing stuff like that. Um, we will be, uh, we, we've just recruited some social media volunteers. We've got three amazing women from uh, various different parts of the country. One's from Bristol, one's from London, one's from elsewhere. And um, they have been working on our social media sites because we're a little bit long in the tooth. I mean, I'm going to be 60 next month and social media is just a little bit too agile for people like uh, the chair and, and me. So we decided that it wasn't for us and that we'd get people who know what they're doing in to organize our social media and to advertise Red Kite on social media. So, so that's a really successful venture. We're all very pleased with that. Amazing. There certainly sounds like there's so many um, interesting projects coming your way, and I hope all the successes come your way and your organization flourishes even more in the upcoming future and all your future endeavors. Um, thank, you. thank you so much for speaking with us today, Dr. Sue. Okay. It's lovely speaking to you, Pfizer. Thank you so much. I love to New Zealand. My brother lives in New Zealand oh, and my cousin. Which part of New Zealand? They're in Cockle Bay up north. Oh, I see. I see. I'm more in the center of the North Island. So, yeah, it's it's um it's a very small country and you can bump into anyone anywhere at any time. So um, thank you so much for speaking to us, uh, Dr. Sue. And I really hope you look forward to this particular episode of Givey Connect Plus. We're working really hard to put everything together and launch the podcast series soon. So I hope you look forward to it. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And on that note, we would like to conclude this episode of Givey Connect Plus. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Givey Connect Plus. We will be returning with another episode with another special guest very soon. But until then, goodbye and take care. Mm -hmm.